wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. afraid at the party. Everybody was old. The only people my age were rich kids, the kind who have sex and take drugs from the age of 12, so that by 17 they seem timeless and worldly, even though they're as scared and confused as the rest of us deep down. I didn't want to be mistaken for that kind of young person, though looking back and thinking how green and wide-eyed I must have looked, it would have been nearly impossible. I wanted to look like the kind of person Nanny Chen expected me to be. Studious, quiet, decent. I was wearing my navy dress, which had full-length sleeves and looked black in the neon lights. Nanny Chen had thought a conservative dress would keep me safe from the kind of men who were staring up at the dancers in their hanging glass prisons. But lechery is about despoilment. The more chaste I looked, the more fevered eyes would follow me around the room. I want to go home, I said to Nanny Chen. You can't. Not yet, said Nanny Chen. We have to meet him first. We were standing in a corner, as far from the dance floor as we could. I was drinking ginger ale. Nanny Chen drank nothing and kept her eyes on my glass. I was planning to apply for the classics program on Zhengdu Orbital the next year, and I couldn't help but think of her as some guardian monster like Cerberus or the Griffins of Apollo. I wished I was home in my bed, with my books. When will he be here? I was shouting over the music, which was all loud bass and moaning female voices. He was supposed to be here an hour ago, said Nanny Chen, but he's a very important man and he's been busy with the unrest on Triton Orbital. His shuttle may have been delayed. But what if he doesn't come, I said. Don't talk back, she said. Stung, I held my tongue and checked my phone. Only 20 minutes had passed since we arrived. As I finished my ginger ale, I noticed Nanny Chen was shifting from foot to foot. What's wrong? I said. I have to go to the washroom. Then go. She gave me a look, like I'd been waiting for a chance to get away from her and was now making my move. Anywhere else, that would have been the truth. Here, smothering felt like protection. Go, I said. I'll be waiting right here. Right here? Right here. She narrowed her eyes grunted, and shouldered through the crowd, vanishing into the noise, bodies, and fuchsia light. As I watched her go, I accidentally made eye contact with a man. I looked away, but it was too late. A minute later, he emerged from the crowd with two drinks in his hands. I had my phone out, trying to blend in with the wall of dark, oily plants. But he refused the hint. Hey, he said. I gave him a quick glance and a nod, and then bent back to my phone. 
I pretended to text, though I had nobody to text. You look like you could use a drink. I don't know how old he was. Youngish, I thought, though still at least ten years older than me. His sandy beard was patchy. He was thin and slightly stooped. He was standing too close to me, and when I tried to step back, I realized I was in a corner. I don't drink, I said. I don't either. This is ginger ale. He forced the drink into my hand. I like to have a clear head. Why do you come to parties like this? He blinked, squeezing his eyes shut, and then reopening them with a big, glassy smile. Well, there's other reasons, you know. He winked at me. I think he thought it was an old-time Hollywood debonair kind of wink, but in the hellish neon, it looked like his face was having a spasm. I have to go, I said, trying to push past him. Well, hold on a minute, he said, grabbing my arm. I froze up. It was the first time a stranger had laid hands on me, maybe ever. Nanny Chen kept me away from most people. His hand was cold, and it hurt. Take your hands off me. I tried to sound calm and steely, but my voice cracked. Whoa, hey, he said with that same smile. His breath was humid on my cheek, smelling of sugary ginger ale, and I twisted my head aside. No need to act crazy, you broad. He said it in an old-timey voice as though he was being ironic, as though his intentions weren't made clear by his actions. The class assistant me wondered if Apollo had put on a voice before trying to rape Daphne. I pushed away from him, back into the plants, wishing I could turn into one of them, like Daphne had. My father is Michael Draft, I whispered. My throat was closing up. I was worried about being heard over the music. If you don't let me go right now, I'll tell him how you were with me, and he'll make you pay. This was a lie. To me, Michael Draft was just a name on Nanny Chen's sub-guardianship lease agreement, the man whose firm owned the trust that provided for me and a handful of other children without families. As far as I knew, I was an orphan. But the man's eyes widened, and he let go of me, stepping back. Wow, he said. I was just joking before, but you really are crazy. Whatever, crawl back to your executive daddy. But I was already gone, shoving through the crowds, getting as far away from him as I could. My flight took me further into the party, into the press of bodies by the bar, under the waves of bass that shook through my organs. It was even worse here. A man was spraying champagne over a shirtless woman's chest while people looked on, filming it. One of the dancers in her hanging cage was screaming as a group of guests stood on the bar, pushing the cage so it swung wildly. The music changed. It was even louder now. I wondered if it was possible for a sound to reach my bones' resonant frequency, shattering them like a wine glass. I imagined it happening right here, in the middle of the crush. Imagined the collective intake of breath, the music scratching to a stop, and the crowd dissipating in stunned silence. At least it would end the party. On the other side, I found the open doors of a terrace and stepped through. It was quieter outside and not so feverishly hot. A long green garden with topiaries and a greenhouse spread below the terrace, and I stepped down to sit beneath a wall of ferns, waiting for Nanny Chen to come find me. The ferns exhaled, cool and clean. Pink neon reflected in the dews beating along their fronds. For some reason, I thought of them as female. Above, the stars in the daylight side of the orbital shone beyond the distant ceiling of glass. I let out a long, slow breath. 
You know the party's the other way, said a voice. I looked up. A man leaned against the marble curve of a large planter. He was older, wearing a bespoke suit with no tie. Unlike the man with the sandy beard, his attention was not focused on me, but mostly on his phone. His hair was silver. The eyes reflecting the phone's blue light were very blue. Um, I just like the plants, I said. What a coincidence, he said. I used to work in agribusiness myself. Historium Technologies? He glanced up. You know your agriceutical giants. My guardian used to work for them. Do you know Michael Draft? His gaze sharpened. Do I? He said. He glanced at me up and down. Yes, yes, I think I might. Suddenly, we were interrupted by a voice calling my name, and I stood to see Nanny Chen leaping down the steps from the terrace. At the sight of the man, her face darkened. Who are you? She growled. Leave this girl alone. But when the silver-haired man turned to smile at her, she went pale and fell into a deep bow. Executive draft, she said. Please excuse my outburst. Miss Chen, he said, not at all. I was just getting to know my young ward. She seems quite knowledgeable on the subject of horticulture. She's a good girl, sir, said Nanny Chen, not rising. She studies very hard. You're the executive, I said. He waved his hand in false modesty. Here, and of Thymus, Jiangsu, and Parhelion, he said. But I like it here best. Jiangsu may be 15 times the size, but this orbital will always be home. He gestured around. It's where I keep my gardens. It's a prize-winning collection, you know? There are things here that can't be found anywhere else. Would you like to see the greenhouse? Not sure how to respond, I looked to Nanny Chen. She looked worried. She had never let me be alone with a man, and I could tell she didn't want to now. But she was my guardian only through him. The Griffins guard treasures for Apollo, not from him. Okay, I said. I didn't know if I had a choice. Feel free to grab another drink, Miss Chen, said the executive. We won't be half an hour. As he led me to the door of the greenhouse, I glanced over my shoulder to see Nanny Chen watching us go her face drawn, her arms wrapped around herself. Inside, the greenhouse was bathed in the crimson light of horticultural LEDs, which purpled the dark fronds of a hundred rare plants. The light made it feel like being back at the party, though the stillness created a feeling of tableau, as if I had walked back in to find all the guests transformed into still and silent vegetation. As we walked through, he pointed out different plants, their uses, medicinal, therapeutic, and nutritional, and, from memory, listed their Historium Technologies patent numbers. These plans are all proprietary, he said. Every one of them altered in some way, making them the strict intellectual property of Historium. This hypernutritious brassica can only grow in Historium-manufactured soil enriched with minerals from the asteroid belt. These limes are genetically altered to provide resistance against cosmic radiation. We call them scurvy limes. They've reduced mortality rates among career spacers by at least a third. These gorgeous black roses are actually two plants grafted together. This V-shaped scar in the bark is where the rose was grafted onto the rootstock. It's the rootstock that matters here. Hardy and variable. It can grow almost anywhere, supporting more delicate grafts. It's how you grow mulberries on Mars. And what's that one? I asked. Ah... He said. 
I was wondering if that one would jump out at you. It stood near the back wall, gleaming darkly in the red light. From a central column, it branched upward. A disturbingly fleshy plant corralled into a rigid diamond lattice. It had no leaves, which I thought was strange. So few plants are ever out of season in a greenhouse. Its stalks were soft and a deep, shining brown. We stood before it in silence. The red light was in the executive's hair and in his eyes, turning the whites pink, the irises purple dark. It's an espalier, he said. What's that? He reached out to brush his fingers along one long limb of the plant. Some kind of cactus, I decided. Short, soft spines stood aloft at his touch. Spalier, he said, is an ancient horticultural practice. You take a young plant and you bind its limbs to a frame to control its growth in a decorative way. As it grows, you rub away any buds that grow in a direction you don't like. And in a few years, you have something a little like this. A marvelous geometric pattern unseen in nature. Originally, it was something done to make harvesting fruit easier. Now, we grow espaliers because they're beautiful. The plant had only a few soft, regular flowers. With a finger, he brushed one at the far end of the espalier. Downy and heavy-scented, it unfurled slightly. And, he added, because they symbolize our mastery. But what kind of plant is it? I said reaching out to run a finger along a branch. It was warm to the touch in the humidity of the lighthouse. Can you guess, he said. Is it a succulent? He considered that. A succulent is any plant with thickened, water-retaining tissues. And so I suppose you could say this is one after a fashion, but in the traditional sense, no, not a succulent. A cactus? He shook his head. I noticed the espalier's stem was not planted in the ground, but that plastic shunts joined it to a humming system on the wall. Tubes of dark nutrient fed into the plant, tubes of pale waste product drained back into the machine. A light bulb flashed in my head, and I looked up at him, grinning. I've got it, I said. It's a parasitic vine, like mistletoe. See? The stem doesn't go into the ground, which means that these long hairs are the, uh, what's it called? The root thingies that it sends into the host tree. The executive was smiling. Wow, he said. Miss Chen was right about you paying attention during your studies. The word you're looking for, the structure a vine uses to tap into the tree, is historium. If it ever comes up, the root thingies are Historia. Historium, I said. Like the name of the company. That's a great word. It really is, he said, with an indulgent smile. It comes from Latin for to drink, to drain. The company taps into nature for its ideas, you see. But sadly, you're incorrect. I frowned. Wrong, I said. This is not a parasitic vine. Then how does it... It can't do photosynthesis, can it? No, he said, smiling. I looked at the plant again. In places, it bellied out like a pitcher plant or bladderwort. I stepped back as a thought occurred to me. It's carnivorous, isn't it? He gave a low chuckle and pointed to a labial growth along one branch. You see that stoma? He said. I nodded slowly. If you pushed it open, 
you'd see it was full of teeth. I shuddered. The stoma was large enough to have taken a whole chunk of my arm. So it's a type of fly trap. But he chuckled again. Nothing so every day. He ran a hand along the branch, and it seemed to shiver under his caress. He put a finger to the lips of the stoma, smiling as I sucked in a breath. The name of the species is... He parted the lips. They contained a set of human teeth. Homo sapiens. He let the lips fall shut. A long silence filled the greenhouse as his pink-tinged face stared into mine. In the silence came only the low hum of the lights above and the soft hiss of the system on the wall. That thing, I said, is human? Of course not, he said. I said homo sapiens, not human. It was grown in vitro, it was never born, and therefore is not a citizen of any country, planet, or orbital, and therefore has no rights. Besides, where's its head? It can't even think. Beyond a number of chromosomes, it shares nothing with you and me. This is impossible, I said. Its geometry now made a perverted kind of sense. A spine for a central stalk with radiating branches grown from what could have been ribs and limbs branching out at the radius and ulna, the tibia and fibula, and then again at the stretched, distended fingers. How? I said. Quite simple. Well, extremely complicated, really, but the principle is simple. With the ability to fertilize in vitro also came the ability to shape ontogeny, which is to say, with a fetus in a jar, it was a simple matter of time, money, expertise, and repeated failure to find ways of guiding its growth that didn't kill it. Of course, we could have altered genes to make it better adapted to this form, but that would have been cheating. As it is, without lungs, we were forced to spread alveolar tissue throughout the organism and induce a series of fistulae to allow it access to oxygen. The same is true of cardiac tissue. It doesn't have a heart, per se, but here and here. If you feel a slight pulse, clusters of vascular heartlet keep the blood moving. Don't you want to feel? I turned away, shaking my head. I felt sick. But why? Why grow an orange tree into a lattice? Because it looks beautiful, and it shows our mastery. He brushed the edge of another flower. It unfurled, a sightless, senseless, beautiful dark eye fluttered in the red light. Why are you telling me this? I cried. Why are you showing me this? He looked surprised. Because, he said, it's the first time I've met you, my rare and special ward. What does that have to do with anything? Haven't you figured it out? He said. I shall have to speak to Ms. Chen about your logic studies. He looked straight at me. I told you the species of the plant was Homo sapiens, which means, for all its appearance, that it can procreate with others of the species. No, but of course. Daughter dearest, I'd like you to meet your mother. I never told Nanny Chen why I fled the greenhouse in tears. 
I think she assumed a sexual affront. She was correct, but just not in the way she thought, so I did not tell her the truth. She wouldn't have believed me anyway. I saw that it gnawed at her, the thought that I'd been hurt by the one she couldn't protect me from, since it was the thing from which her protection stemmed. Maybe I didn't tell her the truth because I wanted her to suffer. The stifling, the expectations. For a long time after that night, I saw her as just another gardener who had been cultivating an espalier from Michael Draft. I think I regret it now. Nanny Chen was just doing the best that she could. We all grow along the lattice that our gardeners bind us to. I went to Zhengdu Orbital University two years later and graduated into a job in their information program. Four years after that, Michael Draft was assassinated by a bomb blast on Triton Orbital. As a powerful executive, he had many families who inherited his assets, connections, and shares in Historium. As a poor, unrecognized former ward, I inherited only one thing. Item 471 of the Agricultural Connection. She lives in my apartment living room now, along with a bonsai, money tree, succulents, and spider plant. She came with her maintenance system and a simple set of instructions. Her caloric needs are low. She subsists on an artificial blood substitute available through most pharmaceutical websites. I do not know if she is in pain. I do not know if she can think or feel or if it is my responsibility to euthanize her. But sometimes, when we are alone together in the living room and I'm sitting quietly with a book, I think I can feel her presence, and I feel a great companionship. For as distant as we are, for all our lives, we have shared so very much in common. The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is that you listen to The Wrong Station. This week's episode, Espalier, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Annalise Hauerluck. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin and arranged for the viola and performed by Ilana Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Botello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>